Continuing with one's life seems impossible, and eating the entire contents of one's fridge seems inevitable. I have two choices. To give up and accept permanent state of spinsterhood and eventual eating by dogs. Or not. And this time I choose not. I will not be defeated by a bad man and an American stick insect. Instead, I choose vodka. And Chaka Khan. here we are we are first impressions welcome to the first impressions podcast the podcast we talk about our love for jane austen and give a big middle finger to all those haters i am Kristen, and i am joined by maggie hi everybody and we are here to talk today about bridget jones's diary the movie that came out in 2001 to differentiate it from the book which is also delightful um, it's it's December, and uh, it is, for those of you who celebrate Christmas, it's Christmas time. And I maintain that Bridget Jones' Diary is a Christmas movie, and so it seemed totally it, appropriate. Okay, right off the bat, Kristen, is it a Christmas movie, or is it a New Year's movie? Oh, interesting. I love it. Well, it's sort of the, the two holidays are sort of always glommed together, right? But yes, yes but... We open on New Year's Day, and it's basically like a year in the life because we end very close to New Year's again. So while there are Christmas decorations, because obviously people, you know, leave up their stuff through New Year's, I think that this is, I let's say it's a holiday movie. For sure. It, and it, I mean, you got to put it in the Christmas canon, if only because when you turn it on and when you start it, yes, it's New Year's, starts on New Year's Day, but the iconic shot of this movie is Bridget Jones' narration, you know, it all began on New Year's Day and my 32nd year of being single. And it's <laughs> when she meets Mark Darcy, played by Colin Firth, he turns, she says, ding dong, maybe mom had got it right. And he turns around and he is wearing the goofiest, <laughs> huge reindeer jumper sweater, as we would say in America. And I remember reading Colin Firth being actually genuinely embarrassed when they had to do that shot of him turning around and then the tracking shot down to his his midsection in this huge Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, you know, uh, picture on his sweater. Be I remember him saying I was humiliated because the crew could not stop laughing. 
and they had to do a million takes of it. I think it's funny. Well, I think it's funny that you think that's the iconic shot of the movie because I think the iconic shot of the movie is when she's getting up to go into her bathroom and she's got last night's underwear stuck to her leg. Yes, yes, so good. Oh my god, I put last night's panties in the Mm -hmm. hamper, and she still just like throws them on a pile of. In the book. Okay, sorry. What what were you saying about the the reindeer sweater? Well, this is the classic moment, right? Okay, so Bridget Jones' diary is loosely based on the plot of Pride and Prejudice. And at this beginning of the movie, when they both meet each other for the first time, they're being forced together by the machinations of the older generation who are trying to get Bridget a, a blind date, right, with Mark Darcy. They both make assumptions about each other based on the incredibly embarrassing holiday party attire (laughs) that their parents have forced them to wear. So Mark Darcy, who's a sweetie at heart, apparently wears the stupid Christmas crap that his mom buys him you know, every year and gives them to gives it to him as a Christmas present. We all have like the, the relative who will do that, like the mom or the grandma who's like, I bought you a t-shirt with Frosty the Snowman on it, right? Okay, but I love that shit. That's the difference. <laughs> yes, I'm like, difference. yes. <laughs> I love my Aunt Kim, who is the most wonderful person in the entire world. She knows I love ugly Christmas sweaters. And so she always gets me them and I love them. They are currently downstairs ready for me to wear them throughout December. I have like six. <laughs> well, in in the, you know, in this modern adaptation, it's Bridget Jones's mother who also forces her to wear an outfit that is extremely dated. As Bridget says in the voiceover, great, I was wearing a carpet, right? So this <laughs> is when we're introduced to snooty Mark Darcy at a, par- at a party. Bridget Jones, who's got the overbearing silly mother with poor judgment who is going to force her daughter into this floral uh, three-piece suit sort of looking thing. Oh, my God, with, like, vest the vest. Oh, the vest. Oh, and then the little <laughs> collar with the little pleats on it. Oh, yeah, my God. And as she says in the movie, like, <laughs> you'll never get a boyfriend if it looks like you've just wandered out of Auschwitz. <laughs> oh, my God. So um, we were talking before, like, things that Obviously, you're saying loose adaptation, things that um, are pulled from Pride and Prejudice. I would say right off the bat, um, Bridget's mom is horrifying. But I will say that she is not as, like, publicly horrifying. She's more just, like, horrifying around Bridget. And her racism is definitely a huge, like, hmm, modern Mrs. Bennett, let's make her racist. Absolutely like, racist. A hundred percent. I mean, that, that is the um, <laughs> eye-rolling thing. We hope our, like, older generation parents won't pop out with, like, these incredibly casually racist observations. I um, love that line there where she's like, wandered out of Auschwitz and it's okay. Know, I'm oh, it is so inappropriate. Oh my God, it's so funny, though. Um, And then also the sick birth burn at the like gherkin new year's buffet that um bridget gets from darcy where he you know it's the like i I don't have time to like you know i'm not gonna dance with women that nobody else is gonna dance with like this version i think the burn is even like harder oh it's horrible yeah it's really mean (laughs) it's so mean well here's the thing about bridget jones um she's like elizabeth bennett but instead of being the normal one who's got her shit together with her family all around her doing insane, crazy circus-like things. Really, this has 
updated the story and modernized it in in a way Helen Fielding, a journalist in Britain who wrote the original columns, they were just funny columns that the movie eventually became based on, really took the circus around Elizabeth Bennet and centered it in Elizabeth Bennet as like a modern life, trying to be a modern woman, have it all, woman in her 30s, trying to be a career girl and have this love life and make your parents happy and all this. It really does become overwhelming and you're pulled in multiple directions. And so that's but the Bridget chaos. is embarrassing on her own. Like, let's not, <laughs> sure, like, she is no Elizabeth Bennet. She is super embarrassing. She always says the wrong thing, does the wrong thing. That's part of what, that is very modern rom-com, right? Yeah. Like, when they get it Have wrong, it's that the beautiful girl is like, oh, she falls down a lot. Ugh, it's so yeah, yeah. <laughs> She's so quirky. But, like, Bridget right. actually screws up like quite a lot here's the thing about what i love about bridget jones character and why she's so relatable is that people sort of let her fall on her face in a way like in the beginning when she's talking to mark darcy and he become he gets a very bad impression from her it's because she's saying um oh are you staying up your parents from new year's oh i was at a party last night i wish i was lying with my head in the toilet like all sensible people so (laughs) so you stay at your parents for New Year? Yes. Hmm. You? Oh, no, 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 no. I was in London at a party last night, so I'm afraid I'm a bit hungover. Wish I could be lying with my head in the toilet like all normal people. <laughs> New Year's resolution, drink less. Oh, and quit smoking. Mm. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and keep New Year's resolutions. <laughs> And uh, (laughs) stop talking total nonsense to strangers. In fact, stop talking full stop. (laughs) Yes, well, perhaps it's time to eat. Had she New said Year's resolution, me. smoke less, give up drinking. And she's like, holding <laughs> yeah. a cigarette and a beer. Oh, oh, well. <laughs> and the thing like, is, oh, if someone oh. had said that to me, I would have laughed because that's charming and relatable. But Mark Darcy doesn't. He gives her nothing. He just lets her go on and make the next comment about, oh, and give up smoking. Oh, and keep, yeah. you know, and she goes on and on and on. And it's her running, her rambling on he doesn't allow her to dig herself out, which makes you not like him. And then in the next scene, he's complaining to his mother and says, it's the meanest. Uh, I do not need a blind date, particularly not with some verbally incontinent spinster who smokes like a chimney, drinks like a fish and dresses like her mother. Yeah, and then they really turn mean. around. It's so right mean. There. Yeah. Oh. And, and he's the one with, in the reindeer jumper, right? And I love the, the moment where she just walks past him with her turkey curry and this is when you get a nice sense of who Bridget Jones is because she's just like Turkey Curry, my favorite. She walks past him and she just gives him one flash of Renee Zellweger has these incredibly blue eyes, right? So she just looks over and gives him one flash of the blue eyes that she like walks past. And then she's like, and you're like, yeah, you hold your head high, girl. But that, then, then you trans, transfer the scene back into the incredibly epic performance of All By Myself by Celine Dion. She goes home and gets drunk and sits there in her pajamas and sings along with the song and drums along with the song. (laughs) Her feelings really were hurt and you see that. I don't know. I think that Bridget Jones, I'm sure a lot of people find her really, this movie is not going to be for everyone. Some people are going to hate her, right? But there's the reason why this was so successful, I think, is like Renee Zellweger's performance you just, you really, she's so likable. Like, you just really, really want her to not stick her foot in her mouth all the time. You really root for Bridget. Like, this movie wouldn't work if you didn't really root for her. 
Yeah, you wanted to um, I do have to say at the outset, though, I'm really sick of Hollywood being like, this woman is fat. And like Renee <laughs> Zellweger, first of all, Renee Zellweger's never been fat. She like definitely gained weight for this role. Um, but this is Hollywood fat, right? Like, come on. It's a it normal was, person's Yeah. <laughs> Even like, like smaller. When I was at my heaviest, Bridget Jones was far lighter than I was. Do you know what I mean? And so it's like, it doesn't make you feel good when you're watching it and everyone's like talking about her. Like she's huge when you're just like, this is Renee Zellweger. Okay. <laughs> she's oh, <and> lovely. It's, <laughs> it's not it's, that you're not that being large doesn't mean you're not lovely. I mean, look, I have a lot of hangups about this stuff, obviously, but it just makes me mad about this movie that she's supposed to be like very overweight and sensitive about it. And she looks, she doesn't, it just, it's just Hollywood. In the actual book, when you it, the the book you can read, it's a series of episodic sort of columns. Really, like her the her columns it's bound her diary, together, right? Is it like kind of like her diary? Well, yeah, but the the diary entries are col- was were originally column format in a newspaper, right? So they're oh. episode, they describe like episodes of things happening, but then they describe an overall arc as well. But you do read the book, and at the beginning of every entry is her weight and how much she's eaten, her calories, and all her, the alcohol and the smoking and everything. But it is kind of miserable because she's recording weights that are like less than I even weighed in high school, and then she's like putting very bad in parentheses or like uh, you know, as they're like am fat, am unlovable, and it's just like I guess it's supposed to highlight how ridiculous that is, but at the same time, it's a huge drag, yeah. <laughs> you know, like I because think, your book yeah. just called you fat. <laughs> I yeah, know. I have not. I've not read the book. I think it's kind of like a double-edged sword where they're trying to make the point that, like, we are forced to be obsessed with this kind of thing because of how other people view us and how the society we live in views us. But then, like, you're saying the book and the movie we're watching are giving a false narrative of that by not actually having someone be realistic about the way. Yeah, I don't know. There's a That is probably my biggest issue with the movie, but that's definitely a Hollywood thing. In the uh, book, um, there is an episode where she gets down to like 119 pounds or something and goes, which is low because normally she's in the 20 mid 20 to uh, 30s range. Apparently, pounds we're talking about. And uh, anyway, she goes to a party, and everyone tells her how tired and flat she looks, and she's like, "Oh, I've lost all this weight," and they're like, "Uh, from your bra," and like. They're saying that she doesn't look good. And she's like, I've been living a lie my whole life. I've been trying to get yeah. down to this weight. And then, but I don't know. If this was written, you have to remember that the columns are even older than the movie. The movie came out in 2001. The, so this the columns are from the 90s. movie is 20 years old. Uh, <laughs> I do not approve of it. I do not like it. It makes me feel bad about myself. I'm just going to say it. I was watching. I'm going to see this movie. Oh, God. I know Hugh Grant is like over sixty years old right now. Like, I aged well. I will say, like, despite the fact age, that oh, it's so good. It's so good. We I so I watched it like three times in a row to put it together. Note: This is one of my favorite movies of all time, and I watched it to, three times in a row to put together notes for it. And then we had to push a podcast back date wise, and so I watched it again today with Kevin. I just put it on to have it in the background while I was doing other things that were important to do. And I didn't do my important tasks because we just stopped once again and watched the movie because it is so good. Almost every line in this thing in this thing is gold. It's so well written. So the history of it is very interesting. It was actually, the script was co-written by Helen Fielding, who's the journalist who wrote the original columns. 
and by Andrew Davies, of all people. Oh, that's um, why. No, and then Hugh Grant, they wanted Hugh Grant to play, uh, you know, Daniel Cleaver, one of the main characters, and he did not like the script. And he's like, guys, the script isn't right. And he made them bring in Richard Curtis to <laughs> make the that's script why. better. <laughs> yeah, that's like an A-team. Yeah. So, and the, the script is fantastic. And it, it's very much Hugh Grant playing against type because he's this sort of like, usually you think of him as this nice guy, this uber nice guy, this floppy hair. And it cuts to him in this movie when the, when the elevator doors open on him and Aretha Franklin's respect starts playing, he looks damn good. I mean, you're immediately invested in Hugh Grant, the Wickham. He's the he's the Wickham character. And I'll tell you right away what Kevin and I agreed is the reason this movie works so well as Pride and Prejudice without tracking to most of the Pride and Prejudice plot points. It's because you get so invested in the Lizzie character, which is Bridget Jones, and the Wickham character, which is Daniel Cleaver, played by Hugh Grant. You get so invested with Lizzie and Wickham. And in most other Pride and Prejudice adaptations, Wickham is just a road bump on the way to what you ultimately want to happen, which is Lizzie and Darcy. But in this movie, Darcy, the Mark Darcy character, Colin Firth, he doesn't get an opportunity to be likable for a long time. Whereas here you have Hugh Grant. He's sexy. He looks great. Plus, he's got the funniest lines. And they come right after the other. I mean, this dialogue in this movie is bing, 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 like hysterical. And Hugh Grant delivers them so well. I, he's, 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 his performance in this movie, movie is so comedic and so hysterical. And I could just I, recite the whole thing off the top of my head. Well, I think that he also is a very believable type of villain. It's not like over the top. Like he's super charming and handsome, yes. But, like, they're very cute together. Like, yes, I love when so they go for their, like, their, like, little weekend holiday and they're in the little boat and he, he's, they're, like, saying dirty limericks to each other. <laughs> and then, of course, he cheats on her. Mm. Well, the weakness of their case lies in the deposition they made on August 30th. Season of mist and mellow fruitlessness. Oh, fuck me, I love Keats. Have you heard this one? There was a young woman from Ealing who had a peculiar feeling. She lay on her back and opened her crack and pissed all over the ceiling. Um, and she dumps him, rightfully. Uh, but then when he comes back, uh, he's, the way that he tries to get back with her, it feels so toxic, but also so real when he goes, well, if I can't make it work with you, <laughs> like he wants to try to not be an a-hole. And so, like, you seem like my best bet to do... But it's still so self-centered. Oh, uh, for sure. And that's and so exactly... I that. That's exactly what the Bridget Jones columns in the newspaper or whatever publication Helen Fielding was written for, I should know, and I don't. But that's what it was kind of trying to get at, is that modern love, modern rom-com. As it says, emotional fuckwittery of men who think they can just demand strings free sex from anyone that they want because there's a world full of women in their thirties who are like getting (laughs) pressured to, you know, as people keep saying to Bridget in the movie, TikTok, TikTok, you really should, should get sprogged up. But I have to, so when we meet Daniel and we realize when we, so Bridget is a career girl, she has a, a job 
as publicity for the new books that are coming out. And in fact, fun fact, so Renee Zellweger had to, she's Texan, right? She's American and she has a Texan accent. She had to get her British accent perfect for this role because when I thought it was pretty good. I was impressed. I thought she did a great job. When Renee Zellweger was cast, there was a huge furor in Britain because everybody loved this character of Bridget Jones already. And they were pissed that it wasn't a British woman. And so, yeah, she had to be perfect. So she actually went and worked overseas in the UK at a publisher, Picador. So Renee Zellweger was trying to pass. And she did successfully at the end pass with her British accent. She worked on it that hard. There's a funny side story. At the time, she was dating Jim Carrey. Renee Zellweger was dating Jim Carrey. That's right. I forgot about that. They <laughs> they did me, myself, and Irene together. And so when she was working at this British publisher, she had a framed picture of Jim Carrey on her desk. <laughs> and I guess everybody was They're like, why do you like Jim Carrey so much? It's really weird. <laughs> I guess everybody was too polite to say anything. <laughs> <laughs> thought it was a fake boyfriend picture. I would have been like, wow, I guess you really like Jim Carrey, huh? <laughs> I mean, I honestly, I hope I would have recognized Renee Zellweger. She um, was pretty famous at this point. I mean, this is after, um, right? what, so what was her big breakthrough with Tom Cruise? What was that movie? Jerry Maguire. Right? Yeah, Jerry Maguire. Just a girl standing in front of a boy asking her to no, love him. No, no, that's Notting Hill. Get it together. Sorry. That's Hugh Grant you and Julia. You had hello. You had, you had me at hello. hello. You had me. That's the hello. one. Yeah, but she gets. We live this, in a cynical world. Cynical. Perfect Sorry. office <laughs> romance comedy because they get, the, you know, so. Is Bruce, it or is it sexual harassment? Oh, it's, it's so inappropriate. It is so oh, inappropriate. No, it is so inappropriate. <laughs> but it's hysterical. The writing is pitch perfect, funny, right? So. He is the one who makes this. Oh, no, no, no. She makes a mistake about F.R. Levis, right? She's saying she's talking to Jude, which, by the way, every time this actress comes on the screen now, Kevin makes me do the Babu Free K. Hey, because Jude is the actress who plays Moaning Myrtle and who plays Babu Freak. And oh, so I'm glad he, you brought that up because we need to do, just so that everyone knows that we're keeping track. Our Harry Potter actor count in this movie is three. <laughs> we have Gemma Jones, who plays. Bridget's mom, who is uh, Nurse Pomfrey, right? Madam Pomfrey. Is that right? That's her name, right? Uh, Gemma Jones. Yeah. But it's it's Madam Pomfrey, right? Madam I just don't Pom- embarrass myself. Okay, thank you. I have pregnancy brain, and so sometimes I say stupid things. We have Jim Broadbent, who is Bridget's dad, who is Professor Slughorn. And we have Shirley Henderson, who plays one of her friends, Jude, who is Moaning Myrtle. We've got three Harry Potter actors. Yes, and I bet we have more because there's such a sprinkling of classic British character actor in this movie, including Paul Brook, who plays Mr. Tits Pervert, aka Mr. Fitzherbert, who is yes, who Mr. just fits. How about <laughs> yeah? Was, was in, is in, he is hysterical and pops up in everything. He's been like a bazillion British shows, and then they're, they're also, by the way, guys, Crispin Bonham Carter. Yeah, he has a cameo. How a non-speaking role Cutie. in two different scenes. You can see him at the launch of Kafka's motorbike, the book launch at, in the movie, and you can see him when Bridget quits. At and uh, it's just I would never have recognized him a thousand years without that blonde curly hair. 
Yeah, just Google it if you want to see the screen. Yeah, just Google it. Yeah, and I was reading, you know, I was doing, quote, research for this, which meant just reading, like, top 10 things you didn't know about Bridget Jones' diary. (laughs) Articles online. There's going to be a lot of those next year, which is the 20th, you know, 2021 will be the actual 20th anniversary. There's going to be a lot of that stuff, I promise you. Oh, for sure. But, so, Jude, right, so Bridget works in an office, she works in an office with Daniel Cleaver, played by Hugh Grant. And so much comedy is centered around them IMing each other. But back in like 2001, I guess this was still much more new. And the things that they say to each other are so funny. They are so risque. Like that very first message he sends her, like, Jones, you, you appear to have forgotten your skirt. Is skirt off sick? He really kind of went out on a limb there because yeah. That- is kind of risque and she totally jumps on it and she's like how dare you sexually harass me in this manner (laughs) you know i know shut up please i am very busy and important p.s how dare you sexually harass me in this impertinent skirt is neither absent nor sick skirt (laughs) is present yeah and then she wears a see-through blouse that was like that was rad blouse with the bra and (laughs) and you sexually harass me he's like oh incredibly mortified to have caused offense will avoid all non-pc overtones in future ps like your tits in the top the dialogue is so crackling in these scenes and perpetua i actually i i feel like this movie works because so much as with pride and prejudice itself this movie works not only on the strengths of the principles, but on the comedy chops of the supporting actors. Because not only do you have like Perpetua, who is her slightly senior and therefore thinks she's in charge of me, sort of uh, coworker. Ah, Perpetua. But you, yes, but you also have Bridget's three friends. I Jude, love her friends oh, and Shaza, so the journalist who loves to say "fuck, fuck," and then Tom, played by James Callis who is an incredible actor. James Callis, let me just say, I love him from the sci-fi, like, well, recent. It's not really that recent. But Battlestar Galactica, he's so good. Oh, my God. So good. He's so good in that. work, too. He does a lot of, um, like, animated voice work, and he's very good in all of that, too. His drama chops are great, but in this movie, his comedy chops are so good that it really just lifts this movie from being, like, good to great. Every oh, can I share a story? I have to share a story. Yeah, please. So we were – I was watching the scene where Bridget is, like, narrating, introducing her friends. Like, oh, this is Jude. She calls me from her office crying in the bathroom about some guy. Tom, you know, is that he's gay. He had a hit 10 years ago. He's been living off the royalties. He was like a one hit pop wonder, blah, blah, blah. And then she's talking about Shaza. And she's like, she says, fuck a lot. And then the character's like, fuck them, fuck them all. And Kristen and I were at the same time having a text conversation. She literally texted me, fuck them, like right after <laughs> the Shaza character said it. And I died. It was so funny. It was just like just one of those random <laughs> linemen's. I don't even remember what we were talking about. But it was just one of those random alignments of the universe that made me so happy. Yeah, this one definitely has a language warning on it, kids. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, there's there's a part later I was going to bring up. Okay, no little ears watch, listen to this podcast right now, okay? Because well, we, always have, we always have a, like, mature audience. <laughs> we our, on our Jane Austen podcast. So this uh, movie is British. They're all British, set in Britain. 
And there's a character, Julian, who is the mother, Bridget Jones's mother's new boyfriend, right? Because, of course, in this movie, um, Bridget Jones's mom has left Bridget Jones's dad. That's the family. She's almost like the, the, the Lydia character in a way. At one point, Julian, this incredibly cultured guy who is on TV all the time and is like selling these this jewelry, is getting shopping. a manicure and it cuts to him. Bridget Jones' mom is talking about how he has a terrible t- uh, temper, right? So it cuts to him and he says, careful, you hand-fisted cunt. <laughs> <laughs> and like that in America, honestly, the only part of the movie that I feel doesn't work is... The stuff with her mom and Julian, not because like I get that her like mom feels neglected by her dad. So she hooks up with another guy like that's all fine. I understand that. I don't understand like what her mom her mom's first job is she just like demos things, I guess, in like a department store. But then she ends up shacking with Julian and ending up as assistant on Home Shopping Network. And there's a lot in there that I don't understand how that happens. And I'm wondering if there's deleted scenes. Now you said in the book, he is not white. He's from a different country. No, he's Portuguese. And actually some, some have leveled kind of a racism charge in the book because it is kind of a Lydia situation. She elopes in a way, she leaves her husband to be with this guy. She meets in Portugal on vacation in Portugal And it turns out that he has been scamming all of their friends, like the Alcumberries, right? Una Una Alcumberry and all this with fake timeshares. So he's a criminal as well. And he's also like a Latin lover. So at the end in the book, he comes back and he's all machismo and drunk. And he's like shouting at Bridget's dad, like, you're sleeping with my woman and all this. And so it's... It's very much more of a Wickham character where he's actually a criminal and he's just using Bridget Jones's mother. And so they took all that out. You know what I really appreciate is a slight tangent. This movie works so well because it does not feel the need at all to hit the major Pride and Prejudice plot points outside of the Darcy Lizzie Wickham relationship setup. There's yeah. no, oh, this is my sister, Georgie, right? There's none yeah. of that. We have to sit through the exposition of who everybody is. Like, we already know the story. Everything's fresh and everything's new because it's they just- It's a lean update, I would say. It's a very lean update. She doesn't have four update. sisters. Yeah, right. You know, yeah. It's like, when you say like loose, they take like loose plot points- and update it and don't get bogged down and trying to be, but that's like what you want from an adaptation. I'm not saying Bridget Jones, Bridget Jones is not a great part in prejudice adaptation. Right. But I like, I think they do a good job of updating, taking inspiration, updating it and not feeling like you have to be handcuffed to the original version. Yes. I mean, because it just updates just don't, they work less and less as our society gets less and less like a Regency society. It gets more and more complicated, the things people have to do to try to twist. And you don't, you don't have to pay attention to all of this angst about, oh, what are we going to do with the sister character? If you just take the bones of how the relationships work. And this is a successful Pride and Prejudice adaptation in one respect. And that is you understand the attraction of Wickham in origin- the original Pride and Prejudice is he has great chat, as a British, is, as Chloe from Too Hot to Handle would say, ah, right? Like banter. <laughs> like, he, he, he's fun. He's, he's great. He's fun to be around. And he is a contrast to Mark Darcy, who is not, for a long time in this movie, doesn't even get any funny lines. 
and you really don't like them. And so once you realize that being fun, being funny, doesn't mean that this person is trustworthy or moral and that she needs to sort of get other people in focus and get Daniel's behavior in focus. Like, because like, as you said, he's a very real villain. He's just shitty. You know, yeah. like he just wants he's to jerk really her around. He's a really just terrible boyfriend. Yeah. <laughs> he's a terrible boyfriend. Um, he's handsome. He's charming. He's probably wealthy. And just, he's just a shitty boyfriend. Like some people are just really shitty boyfriends. They're yeah, just selfish just and a narcissistic. voice yeah. and a bad character, right? But no, I wanted to go back to talking about James Callis, who plays Tom, because he has some, two of the best comedic beats, I think, in this entire film are from him. And he's just a supporting character. But when they in the scene where they introduce all of the friends, right? And he's the pop star and he says, well, I think a well-timed blowjob, right? Is that cleaver chap still as cute as ever? Oh God, yes. Then I think a well-timed blowjob's probably the best answer. <laughs> oh, you love it. Are you that chap? <laughs> <laughs> but no, he, um, she's narrating it and they go out and they get drunk because she's made this faux pas at the office. And she says, at least now I'm in my thirties, I can hold my drink. And it cuts to the cab and her falling oh, out of the cab. At least now I'm in my 30s. I can hold my drink. <laughs> Oops. Mind the step. She's fine. Drive on. <laughs> I read somewhere, and I could not verify this, but I read somewhere that James Cowell's improv, that was ad-libbed. It's <laughs> the funniest lies in the movie. And then the other um, funny line is that later in the movie, even though there's no duel in Pride and Prejudice, there is sort of a duel in Oh, my God. So just- Hugh Grant and Colin Firth fight. fight. Yeah. They fight at one point. And it is it's such a funny fight because it is actually two men who don't know how to fight. Fight Where they just like fling legs at each other for a while. Oh, it's so funny. It's like how actual grown men would really yes, fight. This chick fight. In fact, Hugh Grant and Colin Firth wanted to do it that way. They originally had hired a fight cor- uh, choreographer. And Hugh Grant and Colin Firth were like, no, these are two like upper class men who never had to brawl. They don't know what they're doing. It's going to be a chick fight. And yeah, and they are just shoving <laughs> shoving hands in each other's faces. <laughs> they're not using stunt doubles except for one part of the end where they go through the uh, sugar glass window. Can I, right? can I say the line that I think you're going to say that you like? Go for it. When... Okay, when Tom bursts into the, like, Greek restaurant across the field, <laughs> it's a fight! And everyone goes, it's a real fight! <laughs> He's so excited. And then everyone's like, hell yeah! And those servers, like, run out into the street. That oh, feels yeah. really real, too, because, like, how often do you see a real fight? No, Like, just two dudes. That's oh, my God, it's so funny. Me. Like, there's a real fight. It's and a you real fight. <laughs> and he says fight. And there is actually quite a long pause in the movie. And yeah. they had to insert where they just, you just cut to everyone in the Greek restaurant. They had to insert that long pause because the laugh they got was so huge from that original line. That they're like, we have to insert a pause so people will be able to understand what's happening. <laughs> the lines come next. <laughs> oh my god it was that whole i don't know there's so many things about this movie that you know despite my complaints about the hollywoodness of it earlier like it's ramped up satire and parody almost but like it feels really real like i saw this movie when um i you know i'd been single for a long time let's see it came out 20 years ago i was about 20 i was not of the age where i was like bridget's age but i've been there <laughs> And it feels very real. Everyone be like, TikTok, you're the only single person at the party. 
Or like if there was a real fight, you'd be excited. Yeah, yeah. Like there's so much about this movie that is really funny because it also feels like it's very real. If that makes sense. Because it's so relatable. And I completely am with you that like Bridget is swimming through a world where everyone is coupled. And the way that she first gets support from Mark Darcy is that she's at the the party with all the smug married couples, right? Mm -hmm. And they ask her, they they say something like, you really are. Why is it there's so many women in their 30s (laughs) who are single? And she makes, I mean, she makes that horrible joke that nobody laughs at where it's like, I don't know. It probably doesn't help that underneath our clothes, our entire bodies are covered in scales, which I laughed at, but we're supposed to feel like the joke fell flat. Anyway, it, it, I did not what think I was going to say joke. is there's another part where she's saying, tell me. She tries to fight back. She says, tell me. Is it one in four marriages that end in divorce these days or is it one in three? And Mark Darcy looks up and says one in three because he's trying to give her, he himself, this is sort of like the thing they've done to Mark Darcy's character to make him a little bit less imperturbable and impenetrable than the real Mr. Darcy character. We know that Mark Darcy is divorced and we actually... It's the lie that Wickham tells that um, Hugh Grant's character, Daniel, tells Bridget, oh, Mark Darcy, you know, he he, he stole my fiance. on my. Yeah, he, he cheated. He stole my fiance. Yeah. When it's a, so it's a weird lie because it's exactly the opposite of the truth, which is Daniel Cleaver has slept with Mark Darcy's wife. He's the reason for Mark Dar- Darcy's divorce. So once we find that out, that's the big aha moment where we realize the Wickham character was bad, but imposed on Bridget as being the good guy. The truth is very easily discovered with that. Yeah, it was a weird lie because the truth is very easily discovered. I agree. But what makes us start loving Mark Darcy is uh, the support that he provides to Bridget in that conversation is kind of the first time he's he's supportive. And then... He also is supportive by giving Bridget her first big break. When Bridget works at well, the television. Te- at the end of that party, though, is when he says, I like you just as you are. That's yes. kind of like the first um, like proposal, first proposal scene, I guess. But where she's like, I've, what? Like, he comes down to talk to her. She's putting on her coat. And she's like, what? I've had a terrible night. Whatever you're going to say to me, I really don't need to hear it. I know I'm embarrassing. I know I'm awful. And he's like, no, I actually just like you the way you are it's very sweet he um does the first this is like the first proposal right he comes down well he goes i don't think you're an idiot at all right but then mm-hmm. he goes this darcy proposal route of listing all the things <laughs> that are ridiculous about yeah but i don't think you're an idiot at all i mean there are elements of the ridiculous about you your mother's pretty interesting and, and you really are an appallingly bad public speaker. And um, you tend to let whatever's in your head come out of your mouth without much consideration of the consequences. I realized that when I met you at the turkey curry buffet that I was unforgivably rude and wearing a reindeer jumper that my mother had given me the day before. But the thing is, um, what I'm trying to say very inarticulately is but, um, in fact, perhaps despite appearances, I like you very much. Uh, apart from the smoking and the drinking and the vulgar mother and the verbal diarrhea. No, I like you very much. 
just as you are. Mark, we really are making progress on the case in here. So it does that thing where he says, I like you, but then lists all the things that are wrong with her, which is like the classic Darcy proposal, which is another great parallel. But then at the end, he does come out with, no, I like you just as you are, not, you know. Um, and then they, it cuts right to her having a, a dinner with her friends. And Jude says, not, not cleverer, not prettier, not with slightly bigger breasts and a slightly smaller nose like they can't wrap their head around the fact that because they're always trying to improve 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 to get you know their men or whatever to seal the deal but I was gonna say Darcy is also heroic in that he gets Bridget the interview that she needs to have a big break in her career at this point she's moved to television rights lawyer which is so rad (laughs) yes yes and he tells his clients not to give any interviews because he knows Bridget has had a hard time and needs a big break. But what I love about it is that he is not responsible for the success of the interview. Bridget just needed that big break. And it's her skill and personality that gets her where she needs to be. So I love that kind of really good job. She's good at that job. Yeah. Freaking kills it. Yes, exactly. Which is heroism in that he's just really just sort of giving her a chance to shine well, I mean, she misses the she misses getting any they're coming out of the courthouse. She misses getting any like even B-roll of them because she's in <laughs> line to buy cigarettes. And she's like, "Oh god. Oh god, I'm I'm going to get sacked." And then he, I love his little suit that he's wearing too. Can we just talk about Mark Darcy's court outfit? It's very cool. Isn't that what they all have to wear? These I don't know. I think that he colors. has like a very posh version. They all have to wear some kind of like robe but I don't know if they all have that very cool, like pinstripe thing going yeah, on. Pinstripe. Yeah. I also, I don't know where you were going next, but I just want to pause for a second and acknowledge how awesome it is that Colin Firth actually agreed to be in this movie. Because <laughs> you know, for a long time after Pride and Prejudice, he really wanted to get a, you know, it was insane. It was like, remember Leo and Titanic, like people lost their minds and he, mm-hmm. Wanted to get completely away from that. He made things like The English Patient, where he played a total asshole, gained a lot of weight for a role. You know, he wanted to be in films that were completely different from that. And to come back, you know, six years later and be in a film where he's literally playing another character named Darcy, I thought was so fun. I just have so much respect for him for recognizing that this was going to be a really fun movie and just going for it. Yeah, and he's great in it. And um, point of point of order, he, he actually was in The English Patient before he was in Pride and Prejudice. Okay, whatever. Just so you know. But, yes, um, actually, in fact, um, I was watching a ton of interviews with, with Hugh Grant. And he was talking about how he was sad because he knew that Colin Firth's character right. was going to get the girl. And Colin Firth's character was going to win the movie. But then he was like, I got all the best lines. Yeah. <laughs> and I just love that he was glorying. And every time he got to say, I bet you did, you dirty bitch, or something like yeah. that. No funny <laughs> business, just full sex. But actually, what I was going to say is Colin Firth really gets to grow in the end. And he gets some of the sexy lines. Like when he is, he goes to Bridget's apartment after the interview. She And she's kind of teasing him about the p- naked in my paddling pool thing. She goes that's a pretty big age difference. It's pretty pervy really. And he's like, yes, I like to think so. 
And that's the beginning of him. That's the, that scene is actually as the person my age watching it now. And he's like clearly trying to make out with her the whole time. And she keeps like coming up with excuses because she wants to put on like her sexy undies and stuff. I was just like, what are you doing? (laughs) I was so mad. She keeps like kind of trying to get away and push him off because she doesn't feel like she looks appropriate or whatever. And I'm like, girl, who cares? Just kiss Colin Firth. So we're, we're jumping all around chronolo- chronologically and there are so many I things mean, I'm going to this movie though. Everyone listening to this, I'm sure, has seen this movie. I know, but so I just wanted to apologize in a way for going back. But I have to talk about, this movie is really a breakthrough for me because I cannot stand normally I cannot stand any kind of awkward comedy. Any kind. I, I cannot. Like you can't watch The Office. I can't stand people humiliating themselves, especially mm. any public speaking scenario. Oh, no. In front of everybody. <laughs> I can't. I have to leave the room. If Kevin's watching a show and it's awkward humor, I have to leave the room, especially any kind of public speaking or any kind of wedding related thing. So, um, so is the when, launch party for Kafka's yes. motorbike very difficult for you to watch? Launch party, Kafka's motorbike. First of all, she goes to the launch party and tries to suck up to Salman Rushdie, who's there, and just has to ask where the toilets are, which was horrible. It was funny, right? But it also, it started that twingy feeling, right? And I love, by the way, that they had Hugh Grant's character do it, too, because you're feeling like she humiliated herself. And then you just re- realize everyone at the party is going up to Salman Rushdie to ask you where the toilets are. But anyway, anyway, he's also like, what do I look like? The toilet information kiosk? Like, why is it hysterical? But when she, she thinks that the up, mic is off, mic, like she doesn't know the mic the is off. Mic. And then she has to get up and say, welcome to the launch of Kafka's Motorbike, the greatest book of our time. And then she realizes they've invited Salman Rushdie. They've invited Lord Archer. Lord Archer. Invi- and she, they've given this book, the greatest book of our time, uh, the tagline, the greatest book of our time. And that in itself, it's not her fault that she starts to wobble because she realizes the, the inappropriateness of that. And it, that makes her nervous. And so you can totally just feel sympathy for the position that she's been put in which for some for some reason I think it's so sweet what she tries to do like acknowledging them and then trying to regroup and saying one of the top 30 yeah (laughs) (laughs) at least and at least she says fits Herbert though right she doesn't blow that it's oh it's very close but she does get it right the really Really unfortunate choice of the saying, the man we all call. Uh, yeah. <laughs> because that's his thing. <laughs> and she's trying to think, it's Herbert, it's perfect, it's perfect. She can't come up with this guy's name because she, she's just been calling him Mr. Tits Pervert in her head. And it's that moment where she can't come up with his name and it lasts forever and ever and ever. That the first time I was watching it, I was in the theater in my seats with my hands over my mouth in horror but starting to just laugh hysterically and not be able to control myself because I was so mortified for her but I could still see the humor that happens for me so rarely in life and then she finishes with that big flourish because that 
is his name. And it is like the pinnacle for me of like awkward comedy that I can enjoy somehow. She starts this construction and she just doesn't have a way to finish But he, Mr. Tits Herbert is actually an asshole too because he calls her Brenda. Thank you, Brenda. I'll just turn this on. And then he turns... (laughs) <laughs> and yeah, how long has he been working with her that he doesn't even know her right name Kristen, did we see this together i don't think so i think i saw it i remember being in my hometown of virginia beach okay no but see i remember being it was either hampton or virginia beach seeing it because i was at school i had just taken my lsats well, in fact, was- Maggie, we didn't know each other in 2001 because okay. I was still a sophomore. Did we see the second one together? I've never seen a second or third one. Okay, I don't know who it was with then. But I had and a I weird memory of like, I saw it, like it was not in at William and Mary. It was not in Williamsburg. Well, obviously there was no movie theater there at the time. But I remembered like I went, I met a group of people there after I'd taken the LSATs. It actually drives Kevin nuts because this is one of my favorite movies of all time. In fact, it was the first movie that Kevin and I ever watched together. I was like, oh, my God. Uh, Um, (laughs) I know, which he, bless him, he was just like, sure, yeah, sounds great. It drives Kevin nuts that I have never seen the second one and I've never seen the third one, Bridget Jones' Baby. I haven't seen the third one either. The second one is not as good. Well, I heard it was bad, you know, yeah, and the thing for it's me sadly not as good. is that the first one is so perfect and she ends up with Mark Darcy in such a perfect way. They're so clearly perfect for each other. He so clearly loves her, you know, that I wasn't prepared to enter a world in which they broke up after that. Because I know. Yeah. Well, I will one, say no spoilers, thing. no big spoilers. I will say that. The first, like, half of the movie feels, again, like, very grounded in reality. The reason they break up is because of her, like, self-sabotaging. It's Mm. not some, like, stupid, it's not some, like, contrived, ridiculous, that that stuff happens later. There are these, like, contrived, ridiculous things that happen later. But the reason why that they initially break up, it's because of her self-sabotaging issues, which feels very real. I could see someone like Bridget definitely doing what happens but i won't tell you what happens in case you do watch it but it goes off the rails after the first half i would say it's been a while since i saw it and i never saw the third one so i don't know well and like i don't also i don't like this patrick dempsey having been brought in i'm like stop trying to make gray's anatomy happen i'm not gonna watch <laughs> like, stop what trying to shove it down him? uh it make, was like dreamy oh yeah so randomly aside I saw a picture of him recently in like a magazine and Bay's, my mom, maybe my mom was like, oh yeah, he's going to be back on Grey's Anatomy. And I was like, geez, that show's been on forever. 20 <laughs> years. <laughs> so apparently they're trying to, they're still trying to make Patrick Dempsey a thing. <laughs> <laughs> and to be fair, Bridget Jones Patrick came Dempsey's out way sex. after Patrick Dempsey was famous for Grey's Anatomy. I just... I just, I was like, stop trying to shove a new person down my throat. Hugh Grant or get the fuck out. And if it had well, had Hugh Grant in it, too. I would have watched it. Well, he's what? in the second one. Hugh Grant's in I the know. second one. I know, I know. But I didn't want to watch the breakup of Mark Darcy and Bridget Jones. I just You're don't. very cute. I can't. And so Kevin gets You're mad. Very, very cute. <laughs> Kevin gets so mad. <laughs> he's like, because if a new Star Wars movie came out, you would never be able to make him not watch it, no matter how much he was mad about 
you know, like what happened in it. He would still oh, that's watch. Real. That now we've crossed into like this is some real talk. <laughs> That's a whole other podcast, Kristen. Yes, it is. <laughs> you know that the second movie has a happy ending too, though, right? Does it have a happy ending with Mark Darcy? You want me to tell you if it does or not? Yeah. It does. Okay. So it's just a temporary thing. Maybe I'll watch it. I don't know. Watch it together virtually. I'll see if I can figure out a way for us to watch it together if you're interested in doing that. I can walk you, hold your hand virtually through the... the but they end up together, Kristen. Spoiler for everybody listening to this. <laughs> probably has also seen this that movie except everyone except for Kristen um I mean come on that's Colin Firth <laughs> yeah well I don't know I thought maybe they were gonna flip the script and be like oh she's with Daniel Cleaver after all she's the Wickham no. character come clearly on. it's not Pride and Prejudice anymore no it's off the rails <laughs> yeah off the rails and I don't no, like let's it. Watch it together at some point it'll be fun yeah but no she ends just because they have a little blip in their relationship they end up together come on and I Mark forgot Darcy. I love they say Mark. 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 M A W K. Mark. There's two marks on Great British Baking, uh, Great British Bake Off this season, and so every t- and I just you know I just watched Bridget Jones Diary, and so every time someone talks about Mark, I'm like Mark Darcy. <laughs> <laughs> well, human I forgot rights. To human you. rights. The barrister. The human, pretty nasty beast, apparently. Oh, I loved it. Wasn't it weird, Maggie, to see everybody smoking all the time inside? Even Bridget and her father smoking together in their house. It's like, that is just a different cultural norm. But I wanted to say, too, at the launch, after her big crash and burn speech, there's a moment where we see that Mark Darcy is concerned that she's standing alone and smoking and looking sad and he's going to go to her. And that's the moment we realize, even though what pisses me off too, is at the launch when she sees him, she makes a, a a crack about, Oh, I'm very disappointed not to see my favorite reindeer jumper again, which she very much deserves to make a crack at him because he was so mean to her Mm -hmm. at that turkey curry buffet at the beginning. And then he comes back and makes a joke at her expense when he introduces Natasha with the thoughtful details, right? Uh, Natasha's a top. Ah, Perpetua. This is Mark Darcy. Mark is a blah, blah, blah. Perpetua is blah, blah, blah. Yeah, so he clearly knows what she's Yeah, doing. he knows what she's doing. He, she's doing the thing where you introduce people with thoughtful details. and so she, But she does it nice. And then he comes back with a crack. Bridget used to run, Natasha is a top attorney and, and specializes in family law. Bridget works in publishing and used to run naked on my paddling pool. And then gives her a look like, oh, how old? <laughs> like we're sparring together. But he doesn't deserve to get to be mad at Bridget for the crack about the reindeer jumper because he knows he was rude. I don't know. It bothers me every time. Maybe, so at that point, you're still thinking he's I think he's maybe insane. he's trying to I play think with her he, a little bit. Yeah I, yeah, I think he was trying to like flirt with her or like communicate with her on her like be funny oh like but okay i get it i don't think I mark it. darcy is as good because the and natasha's it. like how old like nobody not knows what right. to do with that information that's true <laughs> he's just not as good at it and that, i like that interpretation i, I like did that. not think he was trying to get a dig at her i thought he was like trying to be funny oh that's and okay. everyone's well, just like what the hell <laughs> But I have to make it a point, too, when when that, that thing about introducing people with thoughtful details, Shaza tells Bridget about that when they're having their summit with all the friends of Bridget together. And do you notice she's doing it? 
She has a glass of wine in one hand, yeah. <laughs> and she has a cocktail in the other hand. Uh, I thought it was I like looked, a salt they're both shaker. Her drinks. She's, She's introducing her to <laughs> what is it? That, what is it that she says? It's really funny. She's like, so and so enjoys horseback. Sheila enjoys horseback riding, and and Daniel, Daniel enjoys publishing and comes all over all over your face. I love her friends. They're it's so funny. So many killer lines. Everybody gets just killer lines. Everybody's so good. Jim Broadbent is amazing. I I just love so him. Sad sack. I want to talk about because you talked about the smoking. I said at the beginning of this podcast that I thought this movie aged very well. So, but I do want. Let's talk about things that do kind of date. Like I don't think it's a huge product of its time. They don't talk about current events specifically like actual historical events there's no like real other tv or movie cultural milestones in it but like people smoking a lot definitely changed lack of cell phones oh yeah definitely a big change i guess like the office i aming like you were talking about but honestly i use teams every day and we we do that I'm trying to think of what else you could have that would be like, this movie's a little dated. I don't think there's much. Maybe well, the Tarts yes. and Vickers party, no, like the sexual harassment. Here's um, a big one, Maggie. Two things. Here's a big one, Maggie. Okay, so this movie came out in April 2001. Gotta say that I'd rather have a job wiping Saddam Hussein's ass. Yeah. It's a bit different now. Really, it's a bit different now. Yes, You're like, this is a pre-9-11 production. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but see, because everybody knows who Saddam Hussein is. Yes. I don't think it it even, like, you're not like, oh, wow, this must be an old movie. Like, you just, because he's like, everybody knows who he was. Yeah, I shouldn't say was, is. I, should say. I mean, he was never. I mean, he was never not a villain, right? He was yeah. always a bad oh, dude. Saddam Hussein's awesome. <laughs> yeah, but no. Now that line just makes me think. Holy shit! A lot of stuff happened since this movie yeah. came out. I just feel like um, the smoking, the lack of cell phones, and all of the well, like casual not a sexual lack of cell phones. Because in the first scene with Tom, what they have him doing is actually unwrapping a very old cover for one of those Nokia phones, the oh, hello yeah. hello old ones that you. You pop the cover off. Anyway, I just enjoyed. I watched this so many times now that I have a million notes about like the little details. You know what? Let me talk about one thing though that I made a note of. There are no. There is one person of color who appears yes. briefly in this movie to sell to tell Tom he liked his song, right? Yes. And other and otherwise, this movie is very, 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 very white, which I think we're all a lot more in, in tune with picking up on that now. But weirdly enough, and this always struck me as weird. The soundtrack is almost exclusively African American R and B singers, oh, right? Like, except for so Celine Dion, <laughs> right? Except for Celine Dion. Well, I mean, it opens to respect. It's got Diana Ross in there. It's got Chaka Khan. I will yeah. not be defeated by a bad man and an American stick insect. I choose Chaka Khan, and that Volk. is also, I think, very much a product of this time, where like white mainstream culture was I'm trying to think of how to say this without sounding maybe being intellectual about it white mainstream culture had accepted certain aspects of black culture and were like 
was cool with Shaka Khan and like playing everything. I'm like, yeah, we're so cool. Like these songs are cool, but yet I, you don't actually see people of color on screen. Right. And you don't necessarily think of them as being that popular in the UK, but they must've been just like yeah. anywhere. Right. But yeah, Al Green and, you know, Stop, Look, Listen, Your Love and Mrs. Me and Mrs. Jones. I have a soundtrack in like, it's so yeah, good. Though the the yeah, big it's... hit from this movie was the Bobby Jones version of mm. Me and Mrs. Jones, which is a great, I mean, he did, I, I don't I love Robbie Williams. A lot of people don't know who he is, but obviously in the UK, they very much know who he is. He's one of the biggest stars on the planet for a long time. Robbie um, Williams? Sorry. Do you not know who he is? Well, you said Robbie Jones, so I'm just making sure. Oh, no. Robbie Williams sang okay. the song, Me and Mrs. Mrs. Jones. Over, yeah, okay. over the end credits. Okay, gotcha. And he released an album after that was so popular of him doing, like, um, I would say American songbook standards. Um, but I don't know if they're actually considered American songbook because um, he's British, obviously. Anyway, so he was a he's a huge uh, British pop star. And a white dude, and that was like the big breakout hit. But yeah, I didn't think about that. You're right. There's a lot of kind of um, classic R and B pop in this movie. Even the song that begins playing when when she goes back to Daniel's apartment the first time, and it's "Stop, Look, Listen for Your Love" or whatever. Your love all the time. And I didn't even know that song before this movie. And I had I have the soundtrack, and now anyway. But I wanted to talk about the panties. The big granny panties versus the scary knickers, and you don't know which one she chose. And then he's going up her legs. These oh, are very me, Jones. I like them. Hello, mummy. I'm sorry, I have to have another look. They're too good to be no. true. There's nothing to be embarrassed by. I'm wearing something quite similar to myself. Oh, no. Here, I'll show you. This time decide that is a very silly look. That is real, too, though, because I. I mean, obviously, since quarantine, I haven't broken out Spanx, but like I wore Spanx for years. <laughs> and like, if you want to, I literally like would be on a date and it would be like, oh, you know, just give me a sec, like go in and take off the Spanx. Yes. And the, but the, <sighs> it's so funny. The fuck me, absolutely enormous panties. Yeah. And I appreciate that they said panties for the American audience because it's not in Britain, it's pants right without yeah. the t's or whatever and then it goes on and on he's like she's laughing and laughing and he's the, the laughing is what's so great about their relationship she laughs yeah. and laughs and it goes on and on and then when they're on the mini break together at that um 
they go away to stay at the bed and breakfast or whatever. And then they go out on the boats. <laughs> he tells me, just tell me don't, we don't have to sit in little boats and read Monty, Ponzi and poetry. Exactly to each other. what they do. <laughs> and they she, have a great time. Oh, they have a great time. Season of mists and mellow fruitlessness. Oh, fuck me. I love Keats. Have yeah. you heard this one? <laughs> well, they I thought it, they make Daniel then, really likable. Um, so which is really like- important for the movie. Like you can't not like Daniel because you have to understand like why she's so broken up about it when he cheats on her and turns but- out that he's an asshole. And that's my point too. That makes Pride and Prejudice so much more powerful. That makes the true lesson at the core of it so much more powerful is that just because you have great chemistry with someone, it doesn't mean that person is a good person. Yeah. Right. And I, speaking of that scene where they're in the little boats together, I love the scene. And I think um, Colin Firth does an amazing job when he's looking at them having so much fun. Oh, yes. And it's like, you know, he hates Daniel because he broke up his marriage, but he also looks so like envious. They're having such a good time. And the girl he's with just wants to go over a deposition from a case they're working on. And he looked like he's jealous that Daniel's with Bridget. He's mad at Daniel because he hates Daniel, but he also just looks jealous that like they're having such a good time. He's like, I wish I could be like that. You know, know. all of that, all of that is conveyed. And I love that shot. I think it's so great. At this juncture, Hugh Grant has actually fallen into the water because he's being such a dumbass. And it's yeah. actually great. He falls in. And then when he gets up, he's still got his cigarette and his he's little limited cigarette. sort of like bent over because it's soggy now. But yeah, you know, he look, he, they're having so much fun. And I mean, that's the that's the feel that you get about Bridget. She's she's real. She's earthy. She's having a great time. She can laugh. And, and it's just not what he has with Natasha top attorney who's always snapping at him mock we really are making progress oh my gosh or when she's when a uh, perpetua is like who is that he's gorgeous yeah. and she goes just give me time just give me time okay, and, and you're like what a bitch that happens at the launch i wanted to I, I noticed so many little things about this movie did you notice at the very end that natasha mark darcy's you know bitchy girlfriend asks she's the only person who asks salman rushdie a real question she says so yeah. how autobiographical autobiographical all your works mr rushdie yeah and he says you know it's amazing no one has ever asked me that before and so she's <laughs> she's the suck up right she's the nerd yeah. and did you hear salman rushdie repeating what bridget says to the fake fr leavers when she's really does talking say, to isn't it a shame about chechnya and then she, it's she's saying it's this it's a, a vision of uh the searing wounds this century has inflicted on uh, traditional masculinity. And yeah. then when it cuts away, Salman Rushdie is saying it to somebody else. So <laughs> to give Bridget that. like that cred too. Um, this is what bothers me about movies. One of the things that bothers me about movies is that when they cast two different actors or actresses that look really, really, really similar... When Daniel go, goes back to his apartment after, first of all, I want to shout out Britain for really sticking with the concept of fancy dress and fancy dress parties like Tarts and Vickers. Yeah. Um, Bridget shows up to the Tarts and Vickers party. I would party. go to that party in a hot second. <laughs> it sounds hilariously fun. Yeah. But yeah, of yeah. course, nobody tells her. So she shows up in her sexy bunny outfit and everyone else is just in garden party clothes. I think she I know goes, what you're going to say here. I know what you're going to say. She goes back to Daniel's apartment. He's been mean to her and left. And I got a big meeting anyway. 
And she finds out that Daniel is cheating on her. When she runs into the master bathroom and the door opens on a naked woman that Daniel has been sleeping with, the woman they cast is styled so similarly. You thought it was you, Natasha. I thought right. it was Natasha. Kristen, she, they just both have short hair. That's like the only... Not only do they both have short hair, they are both thin, white, tall, short hair, short brown hair, short brown hair with parts that sort of like stick out. And they both wear glasses at some point. I thought they looked completely different. I was They not- looked the same to me. And the only thing that saved me was was Hugh Grant saying, this is Laura from, American. Yeah. This is Laura from the New York office. And I'm like, what? Natasha has a double identity. I mean, I'm so <laughs> confused. <laughs> like, this movie has gone off the rails. What's happening? I know. No, why did they cast two women with short brown hair? I must be face blind or something because... This happens to me a lot more than I would like, honestly. I am very certain that the woman who plays Laura is actually a model. Oh, yeah. Um, This is interesting you said that, though, because I don't think that they really look alike. I thought that she had much more like an olive complexion than the woman who plays Natasha. But I have a lot of time distinguishing between blandly handsome (laughs) actors. So, and also, I had a lot of trouble... I know who they are, first of all. I know who Leonardo DiCaprio and Matt Damon are. But I had a lot of trouble in The Departed, <laughs> that movie with Jack Nicholson, of keeping track of who was who. Because for some reason, I mean, they're supposed to be on parallel paths, right? And I kept being like, wait, is that Leo or is that Matt Damon? I couldn't keep this- <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of just like blandly handsome white actors right now. And I have a lot of trouble telling them apart <laughs> in movies. So I'm face bland. I'm face blind to those people. handsome people. Yeah, well, that's exactly what, what I mean. I don't mean it to be rude, but like the the one that comes to mind is like Army Hammer. Do you know who he is? Yes, I do. But like, I'm sure I'm sure he's a lovely guy and he's a good actor. But he just is always kind of like if you were just like, get me a handsome actor. It's like here's Army Hammer, and I'm like, there's other people like him that I just can't like figure out who they are. I don't know. Bay right. thinks I'm crazy, by the way, when I no, get confused. No, I, who I'm so with you. I guess I just have. A few I just think all white people look the same, basically. <laughs> I mean, yeah. yeah. If they have the same color hair, I'm totally lost in the same yeah, similar I'm the hair. Same way. Hairstyle is a huge way for me to distinguish yes. characters. So, like anime, I have no problem, even though a lot of those characters like will have the literal same face because they all have such crazy hair. And I'm like, oh, well, that's the purple hair character. That's the like. Anyway, they look completely different, but I can understand what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. So that. Yeah. And it's and then at the same time, it's like, God, how much sex does Daniel need? He's been sexing Bridget all weekend at this getaway mini break, and then he has to go home early to have sex with Lara, his New York office. Um, I don't know. I love that. Oh, did you also? Was it very difficult for you to watch the scene at their? Um, Christmas party. Oh, it's so hard. It's so horrible. So first of all, they like hint that he and Natasha are going to get engaged soon. And he's like, what the fuck? Like, no. Um, But then they announce he's moving and Bridget's like, no! (laughs) What a loss for Britain! (laughs) (laughs) She screams it out. Well, that's where she gets the opportunity to... It's like a second proposal, but not really, because really it's like her going to him and doing the same thing where she lists all of his negative qualities. So it's like he gets to, it's like if Lizzie Bennett got to propose to Darcy by just listing all of his negative qualities, which is kind of satisfying. (laughs) 
but yeah, it, I can't watch it. it. It makes me cringe. I, in fact, this afternoon, I, um, Kevin had gone to the bathroom, so I just fast forwarded where she says, <laughs> "Better dash of another party, mainly poofs." And Uncle Jeffrey is like, "Is she pissed? Like, yeah, being drunk." <laughs> um, it's awful. Yeah, and that, and the sm- uh-huh. snowman tie. Okay, so let's let's. I think we can wrap it up. Um, I love the end. I also am. I get nervous and stressed out about the end because he's moved to New York and he's told this new firm that he's coming and now he's about to rescind that. And that's very stressful for me for some reason. I totally agree. I totally get why she keeps interrupting him when he's trying to kiss her to say like, you're not going to New York then you're staying here. Um, But yeah, no, that career thing stresses me out. I just need to get over it. But then when he leaves, so like you were saying, he's trying to kiss her, trying to kiss her. She wants to go put on the tiny knickers which is a callback to what happened with Hugh Grant, right? Mm-hmm. So she goes, she goes to put on the tiny knickers. You knew they were going to have to involve the diary some way in the plot itself. So Shoot. Mark well, Darcy. It's the only reason this works for me where he accidentally sees the diary is because she points at the pile of magazines that the diary is on and specifically says, I'll only be a minute here. Read something. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm really glad they put that in and it wasn't him just like, dude, Oh, look at this diary. <laughs> like she specifically says like, look through this stuff. And so he is like, Oh, okay. Uh-huh. And she does say some pretty mean stuff, but, I, then she runs out in the snow. First of all, I heard that all Brits hate this because it never snows. Yeah, in it London. does not snow there that often because of the, <sighs> the Gulf Stream. Yeah. Ah, and so she runs out. He leaves purportedly because he's seen this mean thing about him. No Without wonder his clever just, wife left him. Yeah, which is really mean, it's right? Enough. <laughs> yeah. Without saying, hey, Bridget, I saw you wrote this mean thing in your diary, so I'm going to go buy you another diary. Yeah, it is a little bit like, why wouldn't you be like, hey, I'll be right back or something before (laughs) walking? She's just literally said, like, I'll be a minute. Like, it's not, you don't have time to walk down to the corner shop before I get back from the bathroom. And so she runs after him with no shoes on. There's like a pair of pants, like right there. She could have. Yeah, she just grabs the sneakers and a sweater. She was just (laughs) wearing pants. She could have put the pants, but yeah, she goes, she puts the sneakers on and she puts her little wrap around her and she's running bare ass through the streets of London to find her love. And then he comes out and. He's got this blank diary and then you're so happy. And then they kiss with everybody staring at her bare bum uh, with only Can I say something that might be a very minority opinion? Yes. I don't know if Colin Firth is a good kisser because every movie I see him in where he kisses someone, it doesn't, it's just like very tight lipped. Like, um, love actually. Mm. same issue and so i oh god what if colin firth listens to this and he thinks that I think he's not good <laughs> okay just cut this out Kristen. <laughs> i hear you i mean i never was particularly moved by that kiss but i guess i'm just happy like you're overwhelmingly just like yeah, happy that they're together sweet. you know what the part i do love is when he actually wraps his coat around oh her. i love that part it's too so sweet because she's cold her legs are bare so he takes his big overcoat and he wraps it to include both of them and it's very sweet it's very, very sweet. this movie is so good it's just such a fun movie it's i want to so watch it again now i've i Having watched it four times in the last week and a half, I would totally turn it on again right now because it's so well written. What's that? 
Can we Netflix party during it? Is it? Oh on my god! Oh my god! Yes, let's Netflix party. And as okay. I said, it's not just well written, well. Str- it's like every line is hysterical. I wonder how much of that is the cast. Like, I'm sure there, it is a great script. Like, but I feel like they have such an amazing cast of like great character actors. Yes. Um, and then you have like your Renee Zellweger, Hugh Grant. Colin Firth kind of like pyramid that the whole structure stands yeah. with. And so like the three of them are completely great and solid. And then underneath them is just like this amazing cast of really funny people. Yeah. And, and a fantastic score and fa- a fantastic, just everything was fantastic. I mean, the use of it's raining men for Colin Firth. That, and yeah, that's also a cover too, though. That's the, um, the chick who was ginger spice. She had oh, a big nice. hit from this movie with that, too. Nice. Nice. Oh, great. Well, just the use of that song. I mean, the score obtrudes itself on your notice because of how good it is, right? Like, how perfect every song is for the moment. Yeah, everything is just great. I mean, it's just a classic. It's just movie magic, right? Yeah. So, not. it's not definitely not an adaptation of Pride and Prejudice. I would say it's inspired by... So I wouldn't really say like it fails or succeeds as an adaptation because I don't think it's trying to do that. Right. Um, but I think it's just like huge, huge thumbs up. I love this movie. It's so fun. Everybody go watch it again. It's a New Year's movie. Go watch it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> if you have New Year's resolutions to make, this is a yeah. perfect movie to get you in if the mood Bridget for it. Bridget can get her shit together because she actually does get her shit together. Like we have real growth of her character. Like when Daniel comes back, she's like, that's not good enough for me. When he says, you know, if I can't make it with you, let's give it a try. And she's like, yeah. that's not good enough yeah. for me. That's yeah. I'm not anymore. I'm not looking for that. And she like gets her career together. She gets self-respect. I don't know. It's really good. It's just fun. It's a great movie. Cool. Well, um, I was just, I just, that's all I really had. I have some movie facts. Tony Collette and Kate Winslet were both considered for Bridget, but had other commitments or whatever, or didn't want so to do it. So I love Tony Collette. I think that something like Muriel's Wedding was a much better, like, for, I don't know what the date is on that, if that was before, but I love that movie and I think she is fantastic in it. So if it was one of those, like, either or, I think that everything happened the way it was supposed to. I don't know if Kate Winslet is, like, she's done comedies before. She did The Holiday. But I don't see her in this role. I, I, I think Renee Zellweger was perfect. I think Renee was perfect. She was just Bridget, Bridget embodied, right? Yeah, I agree. And then did you notice they called the press Pemberley Press? That was the name. Yes. yes. Uh. I didn't <laughs> mind it, but, like, in this new persuasion, modern persuasion, it's the name oh, of that the was movie. Terrible. Yeah. They, for whatever reason, they they changed all the characters' names. Like it's Owen Jasper now instead of Frederick Wentworth or whatever. But the company is still called the Laconia, and it's like, okay, I see what you did there. That's the name of Frederick Wentworth's ship. You don't have to be doing this, you know. But I don't know. I thought it was cute. I liked it to have Pemberley Press. Um, but why, you know, like you don't need all of these little touchstones. You don't need to take up valuable time and shoe leather and audience attention saying here, I'm proving, I'm proving it's persuasion because I included this little detail. You know, you don't need to do that. Yeah. Well, um, we're talking about a separate movie now. Yes, <laughs> I know. And you know, people were like, why make this, you know, modern persuasion looks like a comedy. I'm like, Hey, why not wait, make persuasion a comedy? If you just ditch a bunch of plot that gets in your way and use the bones of whatever story you need, I'm I'm all for that. I think that's better than 
then here's my sister Georgie, right? I, I know I, know I yeah. keep coming back to this. It's just become a shorthand with me now. So anyway, um, and then the other thing, I said a lot of this stuff already. These are all my notes. But uh, the other thing that Hugh Grant said in that interview I was referencing is that um, the men, he, Hugh Grant and Colin Firth were like primping and fussing and trying to be all attractive with their wardrobe and their makeup and their hair. But like Renee just got to lay around and swill beer and drink, you know, and <laughs> eat pizza and just, and she didn't have, like, she just has a normal 30 something wash and wear kind of hairstyle. And, uh, you know, she, she wasn't like totally, you know, plucked into perfection or whatever. So yeah. she just didn't have, I mean, it was totally different than a typical movie with a, a starlet in her trailer or whatever. So. For sure. I'm hoping that next year for the 20th anniversary, we'll get some like some like Vulture or Entertainment Weekly or maybe even The Atlantic. Someone will do like a really big like oral history of Bridget Jones where they get all the people involved with the production and everyone shares like fun stories and talks about how they made it. I love those type of things. Yeah, me I hope too. that they do something like that. That would be really fun. The oral history of Bridget Jones diary. I would be so into that. I would be so there. Yeah, the oral history colon comes all over your face. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we really earned that explicit rating this time. Kristen, do we need to go to the Weed Truth? We do. Um, I have our Facebook and our Gmail up. And uh, a couple of people we just need to shout out and thanks. Thank you to Rachel who let us know that um, even though she was introduced to the Brontes before Austin, she has become aware of the two camps between Bronte and Austin since listening to our podcast. I guess she must listen <laughs> to our weathering. You can definitely love both, Rachel. That yes. is totally good. We love uh, it. Yeah, yeah. She's she's from Ontario, Canada, has a little clothing shop there, or outside of Ontario, and has a little clothing shop. Not on, not outside of Ontario. Is Ontario a province? Ontario yeah. is a large area. Yeah. Yeah. So she lives in a tiny village in Ontario. Okay. And uh, she was she is actually a drama instructor and has directed Emma twice. So hello to Kindred Spirit, Rachel. Thank you for writing in and thank you for finding us and all the kind words. We got a really sweet email actually from Bay's aunt Jacqueline, who said that she enjoys our podcast, which I thought was very sweet. Hi, Aunt Jacqueline. <laughs> Hi. Hi, Jacqueline. Thank you um, for being so sweet and for taking an interest and for sharing your thoughts. And um, Vicky wrote in to say thanks for your the Bride and Prejudice episode. She wanted to tell us that. Maggie, you had mentioned that um, in Lolita's vision of England, there were German countries. Yeah, this was very interesting, I thought. So they were not actually German. They looked, you know, their costuming um, read as German to me and Maggie, but they're English Morris dancers. So Morris dancing is a traditional dance where you strap bells to your feet and bang sticks together and is practiced in the English countryside. And there are elements of Morris dancing that are still slightly problematic there's Shocker. some racial stuff going on. Yeah, I know. She, Vicky is saying, I wonder if this is perhaps part of the film's fun. India is so often stereotyped in Western films. Yeah. So they're playfully repaying the favor a little. So they have the dream sequence with an incredibly twee and old-fashioned view of the English countryside. I think 100%. 100%. <laughs> yeah. 
And, um, you know, what's funny is when I was rereading the Bridget Jones's diary book, there's a reference to Morris dancers in there. So originally when I would have read it, I would have not understood that at all. And it mm-hmm. just went over my head. But now I'm like, oh, my God, you know, once you learn about something, then it it's appears. You see appears it everywhere. everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, but, Vicky. Um, Vicky also says about Bride and Prejudice, she loves a few little nods to the Austin fans like when Mr. Coley is touring, giving everyone a tour of his house, he throws open a closet and says, just look at this closet, which is a nod to like shelves in the closet, happy thought and deep. in the closet. <laughs> which I completely agree. I loved that too um, when you pointed it out. And shout out to Daisy. Um, who wrote to us to say, you just found your podcast, and have you considered doing Austin Land? And yes, I think yes, we need to. You and I did see that one together in the theater. I definitely remember that. And I think we should totally do Austin Land as our January episode, if it's okay with you, Maggie. Yeah, absolutely. That's fine with me. We got to get these in before this baby pops out of me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I I will, I mean, depends on how you feel, but I can always line up some other, like, either guest hosts or panels or whatever for March and April and beyond to, you know, like, if you'd rather not worry about it at all. So That is completely up to you. Um, so I am due March 3rd. I have a feeling that it will be sooner than that. Um, so probably mid to late February. I have, well, pro- I think I only need, like, a month or two really off from the podcast just because it's like a fun thing. It's not yeah. like work where it's every day. Yeah. Um, but that's completely up to you. If you don't want to have a hiatus, I give you my blessing. Oh, thank you. <laughs> to have episodes without me on them. But I don't think it'll be, I don't think I'll need like a huge long break, but it's totally up to you, Kristen. Cool. You're the boss. We'll show you the boss, y'all. And at least for right now, we know we have a fun January episode lined up. Yeah. So we also got a people, um, just to mention this in case anyone else was wondering it, um, on our Facebook page, we did a question like, Hey, when are you guys going to finish the 1995 Pride and Prejudice? I don't see the last two parts of that. Kristen and I like to save that for when we are together geographically in, or in, in, can record in the same room um, with our commentaries. And obviously that has not been possible this year because of COVID. So, but we will eventually finish that. We promise. We just like to do it when we're together because it's special. <laughs> we were actually going to do it when you got married, but that week was such a whirlwind that we just that didn't crazy. get a chance. You had to write an amazing speech that would make everybody cry. Oh, yeah. You know, I composed like 95% of that like the day of. No, that's not like, what you're supposed to say that you worked on it so long. No, and I was, I was so nervous. I kind of had the bones of it, but I hadn't practiced it all because so busy practicing my reading because I also did a reading for Maggie's wedding. And it was, I think it was only 10 minutes before I did the speech. I had had so many fizzy Bennett's, the cocktail <laughs> at Maggie, the signature cocktail at Maggie's wedding. And I was just like sitting there like, because I didn't have an ending. I didn't have a toast. Because I remember that you had used the line, I could not have parted with you to anyone less worthy at Selvi's wedding. And I was sitting there and I was like, oh, could you believe things would end in this happy way? I could and I do. It came to me 
and it was like a flash and I was like, I know how I'm going to end it. Thank God. And it was like, well, that's, that's actually, that's very, it was very meaningful too, because actually when Bay and I got engaged, that's what I texted Kristen. Yes. I got to when tell I told her about our tech, our text. So it was very home. sweet. Yeah. And she brought the house down and everyone cried and everyone was laughing. It was wonderful. Oh, and she's man, wonderful. So that's why I thought it was so funny when just now you were saying like, you get so stressed out about people oh, speaking God. at weddings. Cause you were so good. Oh, thanks. Yeah. No, I, I get it. It's adrenaline is what it is. It's just once I get up in front of people, I get this adrenaline rush and and it makes me totally disassociate. So I'm glad if we got our video because I wouldn't have remembered saying anything. If you need anyone to give a speech at your wedding (laughs) or a toast, I can personally recommend Chris. Oh, you should go on Cameo. And then you can record like birthday greetings and all that stuff for people because you did a great job. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Do we have any other reader mail to discuss? And if we don't specifically, if you send us a message or a le- or um, an email and we don't specifically mention it, you know, don't be insulted or anything. It's just that sometimes we get a lot, but we are so appreciative and we read everything and we try to respond to everybody. So we really appreciate it. Yes, I think we have responded to almost everyone who's ever messaged us. And if we forgot to mention you on, on here, it's just that, we usually just have to go through really fast before the episode and find everything. And sometimes we're just not that organized. So we apologize if we left anybody else, but we love you all. And thank you so much for listening. And wait, we have to, well, it's the end of the, this is our last episode of 2020, I believe. Right. I think so. So we have to say, you know, happy Hanukkah, which is coming up. Happy. What Saturnalia. Happy (laughs) Happy new year. I think. Everyone's excited to put 2020 in the rear view. Hopefully 2021 we can be with our loved ones again. Yeah. So it's just, it's been a, it's been a crazy year for sure. You know, I also have, I was going to do some shout outs. Everybody check out this new podcast. that's coming out on December 16th, which is Jane Austen's birthday called Reclaiming Jane. I see them on Twitter. They're doing like, um, well, we posted on our Facebook too about them. They, if, if you felt like you can't be a fan of Jane Austen because it's too white, straight, or academic, they are sort of breaking down those barriers or that's the goal of their podcast. Yeah, I want to so up our alley too. Love it. Wanted to shout out Manners and Madness, which is a Jane Austen and David Lynch combo podcast. Yes. And that is very fun too. <laughs> Uh, oh Maya, God. who's the host of that one, is just really sweet. And there have been a couple of other people who I've come across their podcast one way or the other. And tr- I try to promote everything that comes across my way on our Facebook page. But if I've forgotten to promote your podcast and you have one and you want it um, promoted, just send us another message. And I'm sorry if I missed you, because I know we have some listeners who also do their own podcasts. And I'll try to do another thread of like promote your work here because we have a lot of writers. Oh, yeah, that's and, a good idea. And like yeah. artists and people who craft and yeah, and the community. Yeah. Community. So consider that our holiday gift to you all. These other podcast recommendations. Yeah. Because yeah. we are not threatened by the existence. No, it's of other not people. a zero sum. I mean, there are plenty of time, and we just put out one a month or less. So I mean, some of these people are doing the work to do like weekly episodes and it's like if you need your austin podcast fix like get on that and by the way i'm also re-watching have you seen maggie i'm sure you have uh black girl in a big dress that web series no but i've seen the instagram yeah it's a, so it's a web series it's a youtube web series it's called black girl in a big dress 
And it's about um, a girl who's a cosplayer who loves to do Victorian era cosplay. And it's hysterical. And her Instagram is fabulous. Yes. So follow follow her and check out um, her. There were two seasons so far. I think this season three is coming out. And yeah. And so well, I think we'll the last thing we should mention is remember Christmas Day. Oh, yeah. Netflix, Bridgerton is coming out. So that's yes. very exciting. Tell everybody what Bridgerton, Bridgerton is if they don't know really quickly. Oh, don't have me do it. I don't know. I've never read the books. <laughs> okay. So Julia Quinn, I think, is the name of it's, the author. It's, Sha- who, it's a Sean. Um, so Shonda Rhimes, though, like, and I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. Now here's my, like, five-minute spiel. But, like, Shonda Rhimes is a very prominent, famous American showrunner. Like, she did Grey's Anatomy. Um, and so she is in charge of adapting this series of like Regency novels for Netflix. But what I'm really excited about is how diverse the cast looks and it just looks really fun. Yeah. And the books are really fun too. They're Regency romances and they contain um, a gossip column, like a Regency or a gossip column. It's called Lady yeah, Whistle Down. Girl meets Regency. Yes, exactly. Basically. And so. If you check out the books, um, I think the first... But is it going to have... It does not have Kristen Bell doing snarky voiceover, but it does have Julie Andrews doing snarky Oh, nice. Yeah, Yeah, I'm pretty sure that she is the voice of the Gossip Colonist, which is amazing. The first one in the series is called The Duke and I... And it's a it, Julia Quinn. The books are good. I've read a bunch of them, so check them out if you can't wait for Christmas Day. But Christmas Day, Bridgerton, the series is going to premiere, and um, Bianca Hernandez of Drunk Austin, her Twitter handle at Book Hoarding, doing live a live tweet. So at, oh, awesome! At Book Hoarding, like hoarding, like a huge hoard of books. <laughs> yeah, not doing- like a the other interpretation. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Oh, H-O-A-R-D-E-R. Hoarder. Yes. <laughs> Hoarding. Yeah. No. Yeah. But I'm just selling it like you were saying. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Yeah. All right. So having said all of that, we have delighted you long enough. Bye, everyone. Have Bye. a wonderful new year. We'll see you in 2021. See you soon. Bye.